0: Let's read our text, Genesis chapter 15, verse number 8. We'll read down several verses. We'll just see where the Lord would let us lay down and rest a little while today. Verse number 8, and he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, Take me an heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, an horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abraham, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterward shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for the good singing that we've had this morning, the good teaching in Sunday school all around God, we pray now that you would bless us, Lord, as we have entered into this time of preaching. I pray that you would hide us behind the cross. God, we pray that you not allow us, Lord, to say anything out of the way. Lord, I pray that you not allow us to preach not one word in the flesh. But, Father, we pray that you would allow us, Lord, to be your mouthpiece. Help us, Lord, to hide ourselves behind the cross and allow you and allow your Son to be seen God, we love You. Lord, we know that there are hurting people in this place today. And God, we do ask You that You would reach down and comfort them. God, we realize, Lord, there's physical illness as well as spiritual and emotional and and mental illness this morning. God, we pray that You'd help us Lord, as a body of believers, Lord, to bolster one another in in this body and in this life. But, Father, we pray that the Holy Ghost would come by and touch some heart today. God, we give you the glory for what you have already done and what you will do. We praise you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I, I'll i not give you a title of the message because I don't know what it is. Um I, I got a couple things wrote down. We may give it to you last, but... But in our text here, we find... I, I, I want to focus on verse 17. i got to focus there. Uh, it says, "...and it came to pass that... When the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. So I want us to focus there uh, with our thinking, with our our setting, okay? I want us to see that smoking and I want us to see that burning lamp. But we're going to look back all the way uh, back to the beginning of this thing and see what the Lord has for us. But there's something about this in verse 17 that spoke to my my heart. Uh, as I was writing the other day, um, I, I've been in Genesis so far for uh, since January first in chapter 15. As, is as far as I've gotten, so just bear with me on this. But uh, in Deuteronomy chapter number 4, in verse number 24, it says, For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. Over in chapter number 9, verse number 3, it says, Understand therefore this day that the Lord thy God is He which goeth over before thee as a consuming fire he shall destroy them and then in hebrews chapter number 12 verse number 20 uh 29 i believe it is he says that thy god or our god is a consuming fire and so that's where my heart my thoughts are this morning uh in the very fact that this though it does not mention god by name in verse 17 though it does not say that god is a a smoking furnace it does not say that that God is a burning lamp. I believe in the context of all of the scripture, we can see that this is a picture of God and it is a picture of that consuming fire that Moses wrote about in Deuteronomy twice, and then the writer of Hebrews wrote there in Hebrews 12. It is a consuming fire. And so to get into it this morning, I want us to know if you've read this lately, and hopefully you have, um, you know that Abram has just returned from a battle to rescue Lot. Uh, And we don't think about Lot, we don't think about Abram being, or Abraham being uh, a a military man, a man of of great might as far as armies and things of that sort. But if you read chapter number four, uh, 13 and 14, you'll see that he was. He had enough men that he could create an army and they went to battle and were not only in battle but victorious in this battle. So they rescued Lot and Lot was freed from from those kings. But uh, it was there that he met and he got blessed by a king pre- a priest. Now, I'm going to try my best to get through this in less than 21 minutes. Somebody say amen right there. Uh, But he met a king priest. Now, we know now that Sodom and Gomorrah and their kings, they were wicked. And so just imagine for a moment that this righteous man named Abram, he was there surrounding by these men. He was fighting. There was bloodshed. Uh, There was liberty uh, set for Lot. There was victory won for Abram. Uh, But then all of a sudden, in the midst of all of this, in chapter number 14, we find that he met the king of Salem in verse number 18 and it says that he brought bread and wine and he was the priest. Now listen to this of the most high God. Now, one thing that the Lord's been helping me with this year is the different names of God. As I told you, I've been through Genesis right now, trying to finish chapter number 15. But there's different names of God. You go all the way back to, in the beginning, God. And that is the word Elohim. And that means He is the subject of all to come. He is the reason for worship. And so, in the beginning, the reason for worship created all. Somebody help me right there. Not only was he the one that would be worshipped, but he created the ones that would worship him. Say amen, Michael. Amen. And so I I get a little tore up on these things, and I I try my best to behave, but I've spent some time in this, and and this Most High God is El Elyon. And it is the possessor or framer of heaven and earth. Now, y'all think about that just for a minute. Here is Melchizedek, and he, is, he has come out of all of this, and he's brought bread, he's brought wine, he's fixing to bless Abram, and he introduces himself, not just, hey, my name's Mel. He says, I am Melchizedek, I am the, uh, the king, and I am the priest of the most high God. Now, today we say, well, I'm James Burke, I'm a Christian, or I'm the pastor of such and such. But boy, what, what, what kind of look would we get if we said I'm the pastor of the church of the most high God? Well, you'd get some strange looks right there, alright? And so here, we find that he says that he is the priest of the most high or El Elyon, the possessor or the framer of heaven and earth. You go back to chapter number one, verse number one, the f- In the begin- the fourth word you find, here he is again. This is God. And now, a new name that we find here in chapter 14 means that he not only possesses, but he framed all heaven and earth. Now I've not been in it myself. I, a little bit, little bit here and there. I know Brother Jim and I know Brother Jody and maybe Brother uh, uh, Terry and others have done some some building framing. But I tell you, before you can start throwing hammers and nails and and start before you can even put a plumb line or a level on something, you got to have a plan. And before you can have a plan, you got to be a possessor of what you're going to build. And not only the materials, but you got to have land to build it on. And God is the possessor, but also the framer of heaven and earth. And so, let's, let's go on just a little bit, and I've got notes all over the place. Here it is, uh, Herbert Lockyer said, Perhaps the most sacred and expressive use of ale is in the Calvary Psalm where Christ appeals to ale in his agony when he says, my God, my God. Now listen to me, listen just a little bit. He goes on and he says, any blessing that is lasting is a blessing that is contained in the most Hi, Now we'll get back to that Calvary Psalm here in just a minute. Herbert Lockyer said that this El Elyon. He said that it is one of the most uh, intimate names of God because He owns us, He protects us, He frames our protection, He hedges about us, He provides us, He provides for us. Uh, but in in all of this, he said, Melchizedek said, "I am the priest of the Most High." God. Now I'm getting somewhere. We're going to get back to to chapter 15 here in a minute. El Elion. Listen, the L goes to what we read just a moment ago. The most sacred and expressive use is in that Calvary psalm. How many remember what that psalm is? Any psalm? It starts with a two and ends with a two. Twenty-two. Psalm 22 is that Calvary psalm. That's that psalm that is is prophetical in. Here's Christ on the cross, and even there he says, "My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken me?" But then in Mark, in Mark chapter number 15, verse number 34, Jesus says something. Now let's go back to this little, little, little word L E L L Elion. Listen to this. It means the strong one. And y'all, y'all, y'all quiet. Listen to this. It El, the strong one, Elion. When you put it together, it is the possessor or framer of heaven and earth. But when it's used just with the El, we're not talking about Spanish, we're talking about Hebrew. When it's used just by itself, it is talking about the strong one. One writer said about this most high, it says that he is higher than all the rest. Brother David mentioned this morning about, you know, the possibility of other gods. And if there is a possibility in the beginning, God created the heavens. And so God had to make all of the others. And so we understand, Nathan, that, that men have made other gods. We've come up with all of these other gods. And here he is the most high. He is higher than all the rest. He is, he is better. He is stronger than all the rest. But listen to this. In Mark chapter number four, uh, 15, verse number 34, Jesus cried with a loud voice, and I'm going to say it like I know to say it, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. He says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So in essence, here's what he said. He used the word El. He says, my strength, my strength. Why hast thou forsaken me? Samuel, I don't know what you might go through tomorrow, but I know that no matter how deep your valley is or how tall your mountain is, how wide your river is or how strong of a heat that fire may be in, you can cry out to Ale. You can cry out to God. And in that, you will eventually say, My strength My strength. He was the very Son of God that left all heaven. He left all heaven, brother Terry, for you and for me. And on the cross, He suffered and died for you and for me. He bore my iniquity. He bore my shame. He endured the cross, despising the shame. But I'm glad that there was a joy on the other side of Calvary. And in this, I want you to know, He cried out to a holy God, My strength, my strength. Essentially, where are you? He said, where are you? My strength. Today I want you to know, and this, this is, this is free. You might be here at your weakest point. There is strength that you have never experienced in God. You've never needed to experience. But today you might. Can I tell you that there is a God in heaven? that's able to give you the strength. So we find here that he has been introduced to Melchizedek. Melchizedek says, I am the priest, I'm the king, I'm the priest of the Most High God. But now we find after all of this, he has some conversation with the king of Sodom. In verse number 1 of chapter 15, we find that he uh, sees a vision from God. And I've, I've looked and I've prayed and I've thought about it. And, and it's very likely, very likely that all of chapter 15 is a vision from God. But I believe in my heart of hearts that we can look probably around verse number 10 and we can see physical action and then we see Him falling into sleep. So y'all just bear with me as I, uh, as I go through this. I believe that there was a vision started in chapter number 15, verse number 1. And in this vision, God speaks, fear not. Y'all listen to me. He speaks, fear not. He says, I am thy shield. He says, I am thy exceeding reward. But then he says, Abram, your seed will be like the stars. And so in this vision, God spoke to things that Abram needed in the chapter before. In the chapter before, he needed a shield. But he was already a shield. But he was reminding him of who he was. In the previous chapter, the king of Sodom and tried to give him a reward, and he said, "I don't want your money." But God said, in verse number one, verse number two, verse one, chapter 15, He said, "I am your reward. You don't need what everybody else has. I've got something for you." Then we find that He says, "I," uh, He says, "Fear not." How many has ever fought a battle, and like you have been, I'm talking about you have been, you've been able to fight it. Everything goes well. I mean, you, 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 I mean, you, whoo, you, you whooped up on somebody. And then after it, all those emotions start. I mean, you're shaking all over. You're like, I don't know what happened. I don't know what I said. I don't know how hard I hit him. I don't know if I hit him. I don't know if I took tail and run. I don't know. All I know is he ain't here and, and whoo, I'm, I'm counting a victory. Well, that's kind of what's happening here. He's, he's went through this and he's been victorious over, over this. And I believe in meeting Melchizedek, he also had a relationship with God that got him a little closer. And then we find that he had to stand his ground and say, Listen, King of Sodom, I don't want what you have. And then all of a sudden, God puts him in a vision and he says, Fear not. I realize your emotions are high. I realize your adrenaline's running. I realize there's some, some excitement, but also some fear, maybe some doubt of what's happened. But God says, Fear not. Now, I don't remember, but I'm pretty certain that this is the first time that this phrase is mentioned. Fear not. Now, if it is the first time that it's mentioned, I guarantee you it's not the last time it's mentioned. And if God can give somebody fear after getting the victory, better mark it down, He can give you fear when you've lost, when it looks like you're going to lose when it seems like all hell is assailing against you. Somebody read it the other day, Psalm 37, I believe it is. It says, fret not thyself. Fear not. Don't worry. God has promised Abram. Now, God promised Abram and He asks, how shall I know that I'm going to inherit this stuff? Let's turn our page. If you got a Schofield Bible, turn the page. Page number 24. And Abram said, uh, Lord, what are you going to give me? Seeing I go childless. And the steward of my house is this, Eleazar of Damascus. Verse number 3. Abram's still running his mouth. And he says, uh, "He says, uh says, behold to me, thou hast given no seed. He said, you told me I was going to have seed. He said, you, you said in chapter 14 I was going to have seed. No man could number. He said, it was going to be like the saints of the sea. Uh, God, I don't have no babies what he's saying right here so then it says here's the first time this phrase came behold the word of the lord came unto him saying this shall not be thine heir but he shall come forth out of thine own bowels he shall be that heir.'" verse five he brought him forth abroad he said look toward heaven i'm just kind of skipping through he said look to heaven tell the stars if thou be able to number them he said number them he said unto him so shall thy seed be So he's given him a promise in this vision. He said, your seed is going to be so large that you'll not be able to number them. But notice what happened. Verse number six. And he. Can somebody tell me who he was right here? Abram. Abraham. And he believed in the Lord. And he, this is God, counted it to him for righteousness. You'll find that phrase written by Paul and by James and by Peter. And they all three of them said, Abraham believed God and it was counted, un- <laughs> and it was counted unto him for righteousness. <laughs> so in the middle of this vision, Abraham says, okay, God, I believe you. I believe what you're saying now. Notice what it says in verse number 7. And he, God, says unto him, I am the Lord. He says, I am Jehovah. He says, I am the one that will provide, that will keep. That will take care of you. He says, I am Jehovah. And he he reminds, and I love this, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Anytime you see Jehovah, anytime you see that word in your King James Bible, and I know you're not going to see Jehovah, you will occasionally, but most of the time it's going to be Lord, all in capital letters. He always reminds them of what he has done. And he reminds them again. And listen to what he says. He says, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit. He said, Abram, you were stuck with your fathers. You were stuck with your brothers. You were stuck with all of that in the Ur of the Chaldees. He said, but I brought you out. But I brought you out for a reason to give you a land to inherit it. And he said, Abram says, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? He says, I believe you but how am I going to know that I'm going to inherit this? So, God begins to give him how. Gives him the knowledge of how he can know it. I told you that my heart is on verse 17. And I'm not going to preach all of this today. But verse, I want to read verse 17 again, and then I want to start back in verse number 9. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. One of the titles that I have written down is Passing Between the Pieces. In light of this fire, this consuming fire in Deuteronomy 4 and 9 and Hebrews 12, I want us to see this. That this fire will, number one, reveal God's will. Look with me again in verse number 9. God says, Take me an heifer of three years old, a she-goat of three years old, a ram of three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. He took them, He divided them, He laid each piece against another, but the birds he divided not, divided he not. When the fowls came upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. This fire will reveal God's will. He said there in verse number 9, he says, take me. A.W. Pink says, the sacrifice belongs to and is for God. Remember what, what we said about this El Elyon? He is the possessor. He says, Abram, he says, I've got a she goat, I've got a ram, and I got a heifer. I've got a pigeon, and I got a turtle dove just waiting on you. He said, I need you to go ahead on and get them. He said, I prepared them for you. He said, then I want you to bring them back to me. They're mine, but I want you to take possession of them so that you can give them to me. This morning, I just want us to know, sometimes God gives us something for the sole purpose of giving it back to Him. Several weeks ago, a couple of times we had a baby dedication. And I, I don't know how the family prayed about these babies and having these babies. But I, I can remember when, when we had Ashlyn that we prayed, God, would you give us a child? And God did, and it was what, four years, four or five years? I don't even remember how long we were married. How much? Almost four years, and God gave us Ashlyn. And we wanted one. And and, and as I counsel people, I tell them, you know, at least give yourself a couple years before you start having children and things like that. And so I took that upon my own self. but, But still, God had a plan in it. And we prayed and asked God, God, would you give us a child? Would you give us a child? And when God did give us a child, you know what we had to do? We had to give her back to God. Because she was a gift. You say, well, when I get a gift, I I take it and I hold on to it and I cherish it. And we have cherished Ashlyn and we have cherished Braylon as gifts of God. But we give them back spiritually so that God can do with them as He wills. And this fire that we're dealing with here in verse number 17, it will reveal God's will. He says, I want you, there's, there's no talk of fire in verse number 10, verse number 11. Verse number 12, nothing. There's No talk of fire. But there is a thought here. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to get there. I'm, I'm not going to tell you. There is, there is a thought there about a sacrifice. There is a thought there about an altar. There is a thought there about fire. But before we get there, I want us to know that there is a specific request. He says a heifer, a she-goat, and a ram, all, all of them are three years old. A turtle dove and a young pigeon. One writer said that these pointed to pictures of Christ. That heifer pointed to the freshness of Christ's vigor. That she-goat pointed to the aspect of His sin offering. And that ram gave a picture of His consecration. That turtle dove and that pigeon spoke of one that was sent from heaven. God was specific in His request. And, and as we deal with this consuming fire, God is very specific in what He asks us sometimes. There are times that God will be so specific that we feel like He's sitting right next to us. And He's given us such instruction that, that we look around. Y- y'all ever been there? I mean, it feels, it feels like He is so real. If you look around, and you say, Ooh said that and so sometimes god is so real and that's what he's doing right here rachel he has he has given abram he has given him and this is possibly in this vision when this is happening when these words are being uttered in this vision by god i want you to take a heifer i want you to take a she goat i want you to take a ram i want you to take a turtle dove and i want you to take a pigeon and he says take me these are mine but I want you to take possession and I want you to bring them back to me. But then in verse number 10, what's 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 brother what's verse 10 say, brother Jody? And who? And he, Abram, took all these. I believe if there is a, a point when this vision ended, it was at that point of action. And and folks, listen, if we want a consuming fire to reveal His will, we're going to have to hear His will and act upon it. Uh, we can sit down all we want. And we can twiddle our thumbs all we want. And dare I say, we can pray all we want. But sometimes God desires and commands that we get up and we start walking. And we start working and we start doing the things that He's told us to do. Take me and heifer, blah, blah, blah. So what did He do? And He took. He got up. He took these things. He prepared them. He divided them. He laid them one against another. But the birds He divided not. So there's a specific request. There's a specific purpose. He divided them. He laid them out. But there, as I mentioned, there's no mention of an altar. But there must have been. There must have been an altar. This is probably as far as I'm going to get this morning. There was no mention of an altar that he built here. But if you turn back the pages of the Word of God, you'll find in chapter number 12, verse number seven, that Abram built while he was still in his home area. Where was it? In Moray. He built an altar. In the same chapter, that was verse 7, verse number 8, he built an altar in Bethel. In the next chapter, verse number 18, he built an altar in Hebron. But listen to this. more means a teacher. Bethel is the house of God. Hebron is association or joining. It seems to me... While he was in Moray, they built this altar. Didn't really know, Brother Jim, what to expect. Really didn't know how to feel about it. It was just a teaching experience. Then he got a little closer to God and ended up in Bethel. And there he became associated with God. Everybody that goes to Bethel gets associated with God one way or another. You look back at Jacob, he did the same thing. But it was there, Brother Kenny, that he built this altar and it was the house of God. So, so there was a teaching in Moray. Now he's at the house of God here in Bethel, but then he has to build another one in Hebron and this means that he is now associated. He is joined together with it. It is him and God. They are walking hand in hand, arm in arm and foot in foot together. They are, there is no separating them. So in our text, there's no altar mentioned. It's implied. He says he laid them, laid them out in verse number 10. He placed them against another. He says in verse number 11, he says, when the, when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, he drove them away. You cannot tell me that he laid them on the floor. This, this was for God. This was something consecrated to God. But listen to this. Though there's no mention of him building an altar, we can assume that he did. Or we may be able to assume that he revisited one that he had already built. In Genesis chapter 13, verse number 4, there was no altar that God told him to build. So he went back to Bethel. (laughs) He went back to Bethel and sacrificed there. I'm going to tell you this and I might be done. Maybe yesterday's altar might become the altar of tomorrow. But if you fail to build it today, you say, well, it's just a teaching experience, it's not all that important. No, 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 no. You see, before he could get associated in Hebron, before he can get to the house of God in Bethel, build an altar there, he had to first go through that teaching in Moran. And so, church, you might need to build an altar today. You may not think it's all that important. You may feel like it's very insignificant. But there may come in one of your tomorrows when God says, I don't want you to build anything new. I want you to go back and experience that again. I want you to go back and be taught again. I want you to go back to the house of God again. We've drifted a af- uh, we've drifted apart. I want you to go back to that association. I want you to go back to that joining in Hebrew again. I want you to go back there. This fire of God. <laughs> I so want to. All my prednisone is gone, so I'm running down now. So you don't have to worry about an hour 10 minute message today. Somebody shout amen and throw a baby in the air right there. But I will tell you, in my heart, there's so much more. And I feel like I've done such a poor job trying to share this with you. But there there was a purpose clearly illustrated in verse number 9 when he says, take these animals. And then in verse number 10 where he took those animals. And in verse number 11 where he protected those animals, those sacrifices. And then in verse number 17 where God divided them. And God walked between them. And that was because of a consuming fire. A smoking furnace. A burning lamp. God doesn't do anything halfway. What He does, He will follow through to completion. And and that completion, though, it, it may be years upon years upon years, but, but in His eyes, it's done. It's finished. It's 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 through. But we must have that patience like Abram. We must say, God, I, I, I feel the fire. I feel that Holy Ghost. I feel that consuming fire. I feel like you're trying to reveal something in me. What I didn't say is before he could truly reveal it to him, he had to put him to sleep. He drove away all distractions. In verse number 12, The sun was going down. It was not down, but a deep sleep fell upon Abram. When God begins to reveal His will, He will remove all those distractions. And and that may be painful. Just to forewarn you, that could be painful. And it says there was a great horror. I thought, well, maybe this is just an Old Testament word for something good. No, this was a horror. This was a terror. This was frightening darkness. But God revealing His will put him in a place where there was no distraction. No shimmering lights out there to grab his attention. No sounds that could frighten him away. He put him to sleep. God began to talk. God began to work with him. There is a A very clear intent. And that was to make a covenant with Abram. That's why he said, I want you to take these things. Abraham knew because of his own society that when those animals were chosen, it meant that a covenant was going to be made. He had just asked God, how am I going to know that what you're saying is true? And God said, let's make a covenant. So he got those animals. He laid those out. He protected them. God put him to sleep. But without one iota of effort on Abram's part, God sealed himself alone. God sealed the covenant. Most of the time, Samuel, those two men would bring those animals together and they would walk between them and they would make a covenant. God said, you sleep on. This covenant can only be made by me. I will do it all and I will do it in all completeness. And so, as a smoking furnace and a burning lamp, this consuming fire that we so lovingly call God and Lord, he walked between the pieces of flesh and he sealed a covenant with Abram. I don't know, we might, I might preach some more of this tonight. You just be here and see what happens. Let's come with a song of invitation. There's something about fire that, that's always amazed me. I was the little boy, little, little freckle-faced, chubby, husky, red-headed boy. That everybody said, "You know what happens if you play with fire? That was me and but it 's always amazed me, Brother Jody, we went out to brother bobby 's place and and on top of the accident, they were burning fields and and so we were trying to find Nick make sure he was okay and and we were out there doing just looking, just observing, and we were probably I would say maybe thirty feet. Or so away from the flame. They had a plot of land that was burning. We were probably 30 feet away from it. And through the, through the, the window with the air conditioner on, the left side of my body could feel the flames. Feel the heat rather. Rolled the window down and the side of the truck was just, I mean, you couldn't even put your hand on it. The side of the truck was so hot. But as we watched, we could see that the underbrush very quickly was being just burned up and it was moving. I mean, it was just going. And they had, they had, uh, plowed a, a fire break around it. Some of the fire had gotten just, just down into it and they were watching it. They were making sure everything was good. Never crossed it. But as we were there, there was a pine tree that was probably 30 feet high or so. And they had some, some piles of brush piled up and that pile was on fire and above it was this pine tree. And the sparks and the heat and then eventually the flames reached so far up that the top of the pine tree bursted into flame. What these wildfires do, this was a controlled burn out there. But even a wildfire, nature itself prescribes it at times. And often when it happens by God's design, it happens when the underbrush is so thick that what truly needs to live cannot. And so that fire comes through and it may seem raging and it may seem consuming and out of hand, but it's prescribed for a reason. And it burns that underbrush. So that the trees can grow. Sometimes those trees, I didn't know this, Michael. Sometimes those trees. There's a, uh, there was an oak tree. I can't remember now what it was. And there are some pine trees. That the the acorns are encased. And they will never, they will never bloom until they're, whatever, by extreme heat. There are some pine cones that are covered in pitch that they will always stay closed until fire burns that off. Then it will open and its seeds can fall out and regrow. So there are times Stanley, that fire is necessary. It burns those things in the undergrowth. Sometimes it does, it, it, it kills the things that it doesn't need to, but those seeds that have been underneath the ground, Brother Kenny, that are just sitting there, they're just waiting for a new life, those seeds to do anything, it's got to have that heat for regermination and regeneration. And so once that heat goes through there, they begin to grow. In our lives, there are things that creep in unawares. And sometimes we allow those things to grow and grow and grow until all of a sudden it seems like our whole life is just out of control. And we wonder what in the world is going on. It may be that all-consuming fire going through trying to reveal His will in you. Trying to regenerate some things in you. Maybe even to divide you from some things. And He goes through and He burns all those things that are unnecessary and it's hot painful. But if we stay true to God, and we don't turn our back on him, then God will allow that new growth that's been stifled to spring up. And then all of a sudden instead of us looking back and say, "Oh, no, what in the world's happening?" we can then sit back after the char is on everything in our lives and we could say it all makes a little bit more sense now. It was hard to go through it. But now I understand a little bit more. You may not ever understand. But it might make a little bit more sense. But before you ever get to that place, you got to hear God say, take me. And you've got to be like Abraham in verse number 10. And he took them.